Chapter 7 of The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights by James Knowles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 King Arthur and Sir Accolon of Gaul. Being now happily married, King Arthur for a season took his pleasure with great tournaments and jousts and huntings. So once upon a time, the king and many of his knights rode hunting in a forest, and Arthur, King Uriens, and Sir Accolon of Gaul followed after a great heart, and being all three well mounted, they chased so fast that they outsped their company and left them many miles behind, but riding still as rapidly as they could go, at length their horses fell dead under them. Then being all three on foot, and seeing the stag not far before them, very weary and nigh spent, what shall we do said king arthur for we are hard bested let us go on afoot said king uriens till we can find some lodging at that they saw the stag lying upon the bank of a great lake with a hound springing at his throat and many other hounds trooping towards him so running forward arthur blew the death-note on his horn and slew the hart then lifting up his eyes he saw before him on the lake a barge all draped down to the water's edge, with silken folds and curtains which swiftly came toward him and touched upon the sands. But when he went up close and looked in, he saw no earthly creature. Then he cried out to his companions, Sirs, come ye hither, and let us see what there is in this ship. So they all three went in, and found it everywhere throughout furnished and hung with rich draperies of silk and gold by this time eventide had come when suddenly a hundred torches were set up on all sides of the barge and gave a dazzling light and at the same time came forth twelve fair damsels and saluted king arthur by his name kneeling on their knees and telling him that he was welcome and should have their noblest cheer for which the king thanked them courteously then did they lead him and his fellows to a splendid chamber where was a table spread with all the richest furniture and costliest wines and viands and there they served them with all kinds of wines and meats till arthur wondered at the splendour of the feast declaring that he had never in his life supped better or more royally after supper they led him to another chamber than which he had never beheld a richer where he was left to rest king uriens also and sir accolon were each conducted into rooms of like magnificence and so they all three fell asleep and being very weary slept deeply all that night but when the morning broke king uriens found himself in his own house in camelot he knew not how and arthur awaking found himself in a dark dungeon and heard around him nothing but the groans of woeful knights prisoners like himself then said king arthur who are ye thus groaning and complaining and somewhat answered him alas we be all prisoners even twenty good knights and some of us have lain here seven years some more nor seen the light of day for all that time for what cause said king arthur know ye not then yourself they answered we will soon tell you the lord of this strong castle is sir damas and is the falsest and most traitorous knight that liveth and he hath a younger brother a good and noble knight whose name is outslake 
this traitor damas although passing rich will give his brother nothing of his wealth and save what outslake keepeth himself by force he hath no share of the inheritance he owneth nevertheless one fair rich manor whereupon he liveth loved of all men far and near but damas is as altogether hated as his brother is beloved for he is merciless and cowardly and now for many years there hath been war between these brothers and sir outslake evermore defieth damas to come forth and fight with him body to body for the inheritance and if he be too cowardly to find some champion knight that will fight for him and damas hath agreed to find some champion but never yet hath found a knight to take his evil cause in hand or wager battle for him so with a strong band of men-at-arms he lieth ever in ambush and taketh captive every passing knight who may unwarily go near and bringeth him into this castle and desireth him either to fight sir outslake or to lie for evermore in durance and thus hath he dealt with all of us for we all scorn to take up such a cause for such a false foul knight but rather one by one came here where many a good knight hath died of hunger and disease but if one of us would fight sir damas would deliver all the rest god of his mercy send you deliverance said king arthur and sat turning in his mind how all these things should end and how he might himself gain freedom for so many noble hearts anon there came a damsel to the king saying sir if thou wilt fight for my lord thou shalt be delivered out of prison but else never more shalt thou escape with thy life nay said king arthur that is but a hard choice yet had i rather fight than die in prison and if i may deliver not myself alone but all these others i will do the battle yea said the damsel it shall be even so then said king arthur i am ready now if but i had a horse and armour fear not said she that shalt thou have presently and shalt lack nothing proper for the fight have i not seen thee said the king at king arthur's court for it seemeth that thy face is known to me nay said the damsel i was never there i am sir damas's daughter and have never been but a day's journey from this castle but she spoke falsely for she was one of the damsels of morgan le fay the great enchantress who was king arthur's half-sister when sir damas knew that there had been at length a knight found who would fight for him he sent for arthur and finding him a man so tall and strong and straight of limb he was passingly well pleased and made a covenant with him that he should fight unto the uttermost for his cause and that all the other knights should be delivered and when they were sworn to each other on the holy gospels all those imprisoned knights were straightway led forth and delivered but abode there one and all to see the battle in the meanwhile there had happened to sir accolon of gaul a strange adventure for when he awoke from his deep sleep upon the silken barge he found himself upon the edge of a deep well and in instant peril of falling therein too 
whereat leaping up in great affright he crossed himself and cried aloud may god preserve my lord king arthur and king uriens for those damsels in the ship have betrayed us and were doubtless devils and no women and if i may escape this misadventure i will certainly destroy them wheresoever i may find them with that there came to him a dwarf with a great mouth and a flat nose and saluted him saying that he came from queen morgan le fay and she greeteth you well said he and biddeth you to be strong of heart for to-morrow you shall do battle with a strange knight and therefore she hath sent you here excalibur king arthur's sword and the scabbard likewise and she desireth you as you do love her to fight this battle to the uttermost and without any mercy as you have promised her you would fight when she should require it of you and she will make a rich queen for ever of any damsel that shall bring her that knight's head with whom you are to fight well said sir accolon tell you my lady queen morgan that i shall hold to that i promised her now that i have this sword and said he i suppose it was to bring about this battle that she made all these enchantments by her craft you have guessed rightly said the dwarf and therewithal he left him then there came a knight and lady and six squires to sir accolon and took him to a manor house hard by and gave him noble cheer and the house belonged to sir outslake the brother of sir damas for so had morgan le fay contrived with her enchantments now sir outslake himself was at that time sorely wounded and disabled having been pierced through both his thighs by a spear-thrust when therefore sir damas sent down messengers to his brother bidding him make ready by to-morrow morning and be in the field to fight with a good knight for that he had found a champion ready to do battle at all points sir outslake was sorely annoyed and distressed for he knew he had small chance of victory while yet he was disabled by his wounds notwithstanding he determined to take the battle in hand although he was so weak that he must needs be lifted to his saddle but when sir accolon of gaul heard this he sent a message to sir outslake offering to take the battle in his stead which cheered sir outslake mightily who thanked sir accolon with all his heart and joyfully accepted him so on the morrow king arthur was armed and well horsed and asked sir damas when shall we go to the field sir said sir damas you shall first hear mass and when mass was done there came a squire on a great horse and asked sir damas if his knight were ready for our knight is already in the field then king arthur mounted on horseback and there around were all the knights and barons and the people of the country and twelve of them were chosen to wait upon the two knights who were about to fight and as king arthur sat on horseback there came a damsel from morgan le fay and brought him a sword made like excalibur and a scabbard also and said to him morgan le fay sendeth you here your sword for her great love's sake and the king thanked her and believed it to be as she had said but she traitorously deceived him for both sword and scabbard were counterfeit brittle and false and the true sword excalibur was in the hands of sir accolon 
then at the sound of a trumpet the champions set themselves on opposite sides of the field and giving rein and spur to their horses urged them to so great a speed that each smiting the other in the middle of the shield rolled his opponent to the ground both horse and man then starting up immediately both drew their swords and rushed swiftly together and so they fell to eagerly and gave each other many great and mighty strokes and as they were thus fighting the damsel vivian lady of the lake who loved king arthur came upon the ground for she knew by her enchantments how morgan le fay had craftily devised to have king arthur slain by his own sword that day and therefore came to save his life and arthur and sir accolon were now grown hot against each other and spared not strength nor fury in their fierce assaults but the king's sword gave way continually before sir accolon's so that at every stroke he was sore wounded and his blood ran from him so fast that it was a marvel he could stand when king arthur saw the ground so sore beblooded he bethought him in dismay that there was magic treason worked upon him and that his own true sword was exchanged for it seemed to him that the sword in sir accolon's hand was excalibur for fearfully it drew his blood at every blow while what he held himself kept no sharp edge nor fell with any force upon his foe now knight look to thyself and keep thee well from me cried out sir accolon but king arthur answered not and gave him such a buffet on the helm as made him stagger and nigh fall to the ground then sir accolon withdrew a little and came on with excalibur on high and smote king arthur in return with such a mighty stroke as almost felled him and both being now in hottest wrath they gave each other grievous and savage blows but arthur all the time was losing so much blood that scarcely could he keep upon his feet yet so full was he of knighthood that knightly he endured the pain and still sustained himself though now he was so feeble that he thought himself about to die sir accolon as yet had lost no drop of blood and being very bold and confident in excalibur even grew more vigorous and hasty in his assaults but all men who beheld them said they never saw a knight fight half so well as did king arthur and all the people were so grieved for him that they besought sir damas and sir outslake to make up their quarrel and so stay the fight but they would not so still the battle raged till arthur drew back for breath and a few moments rest but accolon came on after him following fiercely and crying loud it is no time for me to suffer thee to rest and therefore set upon him then arthur full of scorn and rage lifted up his sword and struck sir accolon upon the helm so mightily that he drove him to his knees for with the force of that great stroke his brittle treacherous sword broke short off at the hilt and fell down in the grass among the blood leaving the pommel only in his hand at that king arthur thought within himself that all was over and secretly prepared his mind for death yet kept himself so knightly sheltered by his shield that he lost no ground and made as though he had yet hope and cheer then said sir accolon sir knight 
thou now art overcome and canst endure no longer seeing thou art weaponless and hast lost already so much blood yet i am fully loath to slay thee yield then therefore to me as recreant nay said king arthur that may i not for i have promised to do battle to the uttermost by the faith of my body while my life lasteth and i had rather die with honour than live with shame and if it were possible for me to die an hundred times i had rather die as often than yield me to thee for though i lack weapons i shall lack no worship and it shall be to thy shame to slay me weaponless ha <laughs> shouted then sir accolon as for the shame i will not spare look to thyself sir knight for thou art even now but a dead man therewith he drove at him with pitiless force and struck him nearly down but arthur evermore waxing in valour as he waned in blood pressed on sir accolon with his shield and hit at him so fiercely with the pommel in his hand as hurled him three strides backwards thus therefore so confused sir accolon that rushing up all dizzy to deliver once again a furious blow even as he struck excalibur by vivian's magic fell from out his hands upon the earth beholding which king arthur lightly sprang to it and grasped it and forthwith felt it was his own good sword and said to it thou hast been from me all too long and done me too much damage then spying the scabbard hanging by sir accolon's side he sprang and pulled it from him and cast it away as far as he could throw it for so long as he had worn it arthur knew his life would have been kept secure o knight then said the king thou hast this day wrought me much damage by this sword but now art thou come to thy death for i shall not warrant thee but that thou shalt suffer ere we part somewhat of thou hast made me suffer and therewithal king arthur flew at him with all his might and pulled him to the earth and then struck off his helm and gave him on the head a fearful buffet till the blood leaped forth now i will slay thee cried king arthur for his heart was hardened and his body all on fire with fever till for a moment he forgot his knightly mercy slay me thou mayest said sir accolon for thou art the best knight i ever found and i see well that god is with thee and i as thou hast have promised to fight this battle to the uttermost and never to be recreant while i live therefore shall i never yield me with my mouth and god must do with my body what he will and as sir accolon spoke king arthur thought he knew his voice and parting all his blood-stained hair from out his eyes and leaning down toward him saw indeed it was his friend and own true knight then said he keeping his own visor down i pray thee tell me of what country art thou and what court sir knight he answered i am of king arthur's court and my name is sir accolon of gaul then said the king o oh, sir knight i pray thee tell me who gave thee this sword and from whom thou hadst it then said sir accolon woe worth this sword for by it i have gotten my death this sword hath been in my keeping now for almost twelve months and yesterday queen morgan le fay wife of king uriens sent it to me by a dwarf 
that therefore i might in some way slay her brother king arthur for thou must understand that king arthur is the man she hateth most in all the world being full of envy and jealousy because he is of greater worship and renown than any other of her blood she loveth me also as much as she doth hate him and if she might contrive to slay king arthur by her craft and magic then would she straightway kill her husband also and make me king of all this land and herself my queen to reign with me but now said he all that is over for this day i am come to my death it would have been sore treason of thee to destroy thy lord said arthur thou sayest truly answered he but now that i have told thee and openly confessed to thee all that foul treason whereof i now do bitterly repent tell me i pray thee whence art thou and of what court o oh, sir accolon said king arthur learn that i am myself king arthur when Sir Accolon heard this, he cried aloud, Alas, my gracious lord, have mercy on me, for I knew thee not. Thou shalt have mercy, said he, for thou knewest not my person at this time, and though by thine own confession thou art a traitor, yet do I blame thee less, because thou hast been blinded by the false crafts of my sister Morgan le Fay, whom I have trusted more than all others of my kin, and whom I now shall know well how to punish. Then did Sir Accolon cry loudly, O lords and all good people, this noble knight that I have fought with is the noblest and most worshipful in all the world, for it is King Arthur, our liege lord and sovereign king, and full sorely I repent that I have ever lifted lance against him, though in ignorance I did it then all the people fell down on their knees and prayed the pardon of the king for suffering him to come to such a strait but he replied pardon ye cannot have for truly ye have nothing sinned but here ye see what ill adventure may oft-times befall knights errant for to my own hurt and his danger also i have fought with one of my own knights then the king commanded Sir Damas to surrender to his brother the whole manor, Sir Outslake only yielding him a palfrey every year. For, said he scornfully, it would become thee better than to ride upon a courser. Then ordered Damas upon pain of death never again to touch or to distress knights errant riding on their adventures, and also to make full compensation and satisfaction to the twenty knights whom he had held in prison and if any of them said the king come to my court complaining that he hath not had full satisfaction of thee for his injuries by my head thou shalt die therefore afterward king arthur asked sir outslake to come with him to his court where he should become a knight of his and if his deeds were noble be advanced to all he might desire so then he took his leave of all the people and mounted upon horseback and sir accolon went with him to an abbey hard by where both their wounds were dressed but sir accolon died within four days after and when he was dead the king sent his body to queen morgan to camelot saying that he sent her a present in return for the sword excalibur which she had sent him by the damsel 
so on the morrow there came a damsel from queen morgan to the king and brought with her the richest mantle that ever was seen for it was set as full of precious stones as they could stand against each other and they were the richest stones that ever the king saw and the damsel said your sister sendeth you this mantle and prayeth you to take her gift and in whatsoever thing she hath offended you she will amend it at your pleasure to this the king replied not although the mantle pleased him much with that came in the lady of the lake and said sir put not on this mantle till thou hast seen more and in no wise let it be put upon thee or any of thy knights till ye have made the bringer of it first put it on her it shall be done as thou dost counsel said the king then said he to the damsel that came from his sister damsel i would see this mantle ye have brought me upon yourself sir said she it will not beseem me to wear a knight's garment by my head said king arthur thou shalt wear it ere it go on any other person's back and so they put it on her by force and forthwith the garment burst into a flame and burned the damsel into cinders when the king saw that he hated that false witch morgan le fay with all his heart and evermore was deadly quarrel between her and arthur to their lives end end of chapter seven recording by thomas rose chapter eight of the legends of king arthur and his knights by james knowles this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eight king arthur conquers rome and is crowned emperor and now again the second time there came ambassadors from lucius tiberius emperor of rome demanding under pain of war tribute and homage from king arthur and the restoration of all gaul which he had conquered from the tribune floyo when they had delivered their message the king bade them withdraw while he consulted with his knights and barons what reply to send then some of the younger knights would have slain the ambassadors saying that their speech was a rebuke to all who heard the king insulted by it but when king arthur heard that he ordered none to touch them upon pain of death and sending officers he had them taken to a noble lodging and there entertained with the best cheer and said he let no dainty be spared for the romans are great lords and though their message please me not yet must i remember mine honour then the lords and knights of the round table were called on to declare their counsel what should be done upon this matter and sir cador of cornwall speaking first said sir this message is the best news i have heard for a long time for we have been now idle and at rest for many days and i trust that thou wilt make sharp war upon the romans wherein i doubt not we shall all gain honour i believe well said arthur that thou art pleased sir cador but that is scarce an answer to the emperor of rome and his demand doth grieve me sorely for truly i will never pay him tribute wherefore lords i pray ye counsel me now i have understood that belinus and brennius knights of britain held the roman empire in their hands for many days and also constantine the son of helen 
which is open evidence not only that we owe rome no tribute but that i being descended from them may of right myself claim the empire then said king anguish of scotland sir thou oughtest of right to be above all other kings for in all christendom there is not thine equal and i counsel thee never to obey the romans for when they reigned here they grievously distressed us and put the land to great and heavy burdens and here for my part i swear to avenge me on them when i may and will furnish thee with twenty thousand men-at-arms whom i will pay and keep and who shall wait on thee with me when it shall please thee then the king of little britain rose and promised king arthur thirty thousand men and likewise many other kings and dukes and barons promised aid as the lord of west wales thirty thousand men sir ewain and his cousin thirty thousand men and so forth sir lancelot also and every other knight of the round table promised each man a great host so the king passing joyful at their courage and good will thanked them all heartily and sent for the ambassadors again to hear his answer i will said he that ye now go back straight away unto the emperor your master and tell him that i give no heed to his words for i have conquered all my kingdoms by the will of god and by my own right arm and i am strong enough to keep them without paying tribute to any earthly creature but on the other hand i claim both tribute and submission from himself and also claim the sovereignty of all his empire whereto i am entitled by the right of my own ancestors sometime kings of this land and say to him that i will shortly come to rome and by god's grace will take possession of my empire and subdue all rebels wherefore lastly i command him and all the lords of rome that they forthwith pay me their homage under pain of my chastisement and wrath then he commanded his treasurers to give the ambassadors great gifts and defray all their charges and appointed sir cador to convey them worshipfully out of the land so when they returned to rome and came before lucius he was sore angry at their words and said i thought this arthur would have instantly obeyed my orders and have served me as humbly as any other king but because of his fortune in gaul he hath grown insolent uh lord said one of the ambassadors refrain from such vain words for truly i and all with me were fearful at his royal majesty and angry countenance i fear me thou hast made a rod for thee more sharp than thou hast counted on he meaneth to be master of this empire and is another kind of man than thou supposest and holdeth the most noble court of all the world we saw him on the new year's day served at his table by nine kings and the noblest company of other princes lords and knights that was ever in all the world and in his person he is the most manly seeming man that liveth and looketh like to conquer all the earth then lucius sent his messengers to all the subject countries of rome and brought together a mighty army and assembled sixteen kings and many dukes princes lords and admirals and a wondrous great multitude of people fifty giants also born of fiends were set around him for a bodyguard 
With all that host he straightway went from Rome, and passed beyond the mountains into Gaul, and burned the towns, and ravaged all the country of that province in rage for its submission to King Arthur. Then he moved on towards Little Britain. Meanwhile King Arthur, having held a parliament at York, left the realm in charge of Sir Badawine and Sir Constantine, and crossed the sea from Sandwich to meet Lucius. And so, soon as he was landed, he sent Sir Gawain, Sir Bors, Sir Lionel, and Sir Bedivere to the Emperor, commanding him to move swiftly and in haste out of his land, and if not, to make himself ready for battle, and not continue ravaging the country and slaying harmless people. Anon those noble knights attired themselves, and set forth on horseback to where they saw, in a meadow, many silken tents of diverse colours, and the emperor's pavilion in the midst, with a golden eagle set above it. Then Sir Gawain and Sir Bors rode forward, leaving the other two behind in ambush, and gave King Arthur's message, to which the emperor replied, Return, and tell your lord that I am come to conquer him and all his land. At this Sir Gawain burned with anger, and cried out, I had rather than all France that I might fight with thee alone. And I also, said Sir Bors. Then a knight named Ganius, and a near cousin to the emperor, laughed out loud and said, Lo, how these Britons boast and are full of pride, bragging as though they bear up all the world. At these words Sir Gawain could refrain no longer, but drew forth his sword, and with one blow shore off Ganius's head and then with Sir Bors he turned his horse, and rode over waters and through woods back to the ambush, where Sir Lionel and Sir Bedivere were waiting. The Romans followed fast behind them, till the knights turned and stood. Then Sir Bors smote the foremost of them through the body with a spear, and slew him on the spot. Then came on Calibere, the huge pavian, but Sir Bors overthrew him also, then the company of Sir Lionel and Sir Bedivere brake from their ambush, and fell on the Romans, and slew, and hewed them down, and forced them to return and flee, chasing them to their tents. But as they neared the camp, a great host more rushed forth, and turned the battle backwards, and in the turmoil Sir Bors and Sir Berel fell into the Romans' hands. When Sir Gawain saw that, he drew his good sword, Galotine, and swore to see King Arthur's face no more if those two knights were not delivered. And then with good Sir Idris made so sore an onslaught that the Romans fled and left Sir Bors and Sir Burrell to their friends. So the Britons returned in triumph to King Arthur, having slain more than ten thousand Romans and lost no man of worship from amongst themselves. When the Emperor Lucius heard of that discomfiture, he arose with all his army to crush King Arthur, and met him in the Vale of Soissons. Then speaking to all his host, he said, Sirs, I admonish you that this day ye fight and acquit yourselves as men, and remembering how Rome is chief of all the earth and mistress of the universal world, suffer not these barbarous and savage Britons to abide our onset. At that the trumpets blew so loud that the ground trembled and shook. Then did the rival hosts draw near each other with great shoutings, and when they closed, 
no tongue can tell the fury of their smiting and the sore struggling wounds and slaughter then king arthur with his mightiest knights rode down into the thickest of the fight and drew excalibur and slew as lightning slays for swiftness and for force and in the midmost crowd he met a giant gallopas by name and struck off both of his legs at the knee joints and then saying now thou art a better size to deal with smote his head off at a second blow and the body killed six men in falling down anon king arthur spied where lucius fought and worked great deeds of prowess with his own hands forthwith he rode at him and each attacked the other passing fiercely till at the last lucius struck king arthur with a fearful wound across the face and arthur in return lifting excalibur on high drove it with all his force upon the emperor's head shivering his helmet crashing his head in halves and splitting his body to the breast and when the romans saw their emperor dead they fled in hosts of thousands and king arthur and his knights and all his army followed them and slew one hundred thousand men then returning to the field king arthur rode to the place where lucius lay dead and round him the kings of egypt and ethiopia and seventeen other kings with sixty roman senators all noble men all these he ordered to be carefully embalmed with aromatic gums and laid in leaden coffins covered with their shields and arms and banners then calling for three senators who were taken prisoners he said to them as the ransom of your lives i will that ye take these dead bodies and carry them to rome and there present them for me with these letters saying i will myself be shortly there and i suppose the romans will beware how they again ask tribute of me for tell them these dead bodies that i send them are the tribute they have dared to ask of me and if they wish for more when i come i will pay them the rest and so with that charge the three senators departed with the dead bodies and went to rome the body of the emperor being carried on a chariot blazoned with the arms of the empire all alone and the bodies of the kings two and two in chariots following after the battle king arthur entered lorraine brabant and flanders and thence subduing all the countries as he went passed into germany and so beyond the mountains into lombardy and tuscany at length he came before a city which refused to obey him wherefore he sat down before it to besiege it and after a long time thus spent king arthur called sir florence and told him they began to lack food for his hosts and not far from hence said he are great forests full of cattle belonging to my enemies go then and bring by force all that thou canst find and take with thee sir gawain my nephew and sir clegis sir clermond the captain of cardiff and a strong band anon those knights made ready and rode over holts and hills and through forests and woods till they came to a great meadow full of fair flowers and grass and there they rested themselves and their horses that night and at the dawn of the next day sir gawain took his horse and rode away from his fellows to seek some adventure soon he saw an armed knight walking his horse by a wood's side with his shield laced to his shoulder and no attendant with him save a page bearing a mighty spear 
and on his shield were blazoned three gold griffins. When Sir Gawain spied him, he put his spear in rest, and riding straight to him asked who he was. "'A Tuscan,' said he. "'And they mayest prove me when thou wilt, for thou shalt be my prisoner ere we part.' Then said Sir Gawain, "'Thou vauntest thee greatly, and speakest proud words, yet I counsel thee for all thy boastings. Look to thyself the best thou canst.' At that they took their spears, and ran at each other with all the might they had, and smote each other through their shields into their shoulders, and then drawing swords smote with great strokes until the fire sprang out of their helms. Then was Sir Gawain enraged, and with his good sword Galotine struck his enemy through shield and hauberk, and splintered into pieces all the precious stones of it, and made so huge a wound that men might see both lungs and liver. At that the Tuscan, groaning loudly, rushed on to Sir Gawain, and gave him a deep slanting stroke, and made a mighty wound, and cut a great vein asunder, so that he bled fast. Then he cried out, Bind thy wound quickly up, Sir Knight, for thou bebloodest all thy horse and thy fair armour, and all the surgeons of the world shall never staunch thy blood, for so shall it be to whomsoever is hurt with this good sword. Then answered Sir Gawain, It grieveth me but little, and thy boastful words give me no fear, for thou shalt suffer greater grief and sorrow ere we part. But tell me quickly who can staunch this blood. That can I do, said the strange knight, and will, if thou wilt aid and succour me to become christened, and to believe on God, which now I do require of thee upon thy manhood. I am content, said Sir Gawain, and may God help me to grant all thy wishes. But tell me first, what soughtest thou thus here alone, and of what land art thou? Sir, said the knight, my name is Prianius, and my father is a great prince who hath rebelled against Rome. He is descended from Alexander and Hector, and of our lineage also were Joshua and Maccabeus. I am of right the king of Alexandria and Africa and all the outer isles, yet I would believe in the Lord thou worshippest, and for thy labour I will give thee treasure enough. I was so proud in heart that I thought none my equal, but now have I encountered with thee who hast given me my fill of fighting, wherefore I pray thee, Sir Knight, tell me of thyself. I am no knight, said Sir Gawain. I have been brought up many years in the wardrobe of the noble prince King Arthur to mind his armour and array. Ah, said Prianius, if his varlets be so keen and fierce, his knights must be passing good. Now for the love of heaven, whether thou be knight or knave, tell me thy name. By heaven, said Gawain, now I will tell thee the truth. My name is Sir Gawain, and I am a knight of the round table. Now am I better pleased, said Prianius, than if thou hadst given me all the province of Paris the rich. I had rather have been torn by wild horses than that any varlet should have won such victory over me as thou hast done. But now, sir knight, I warn thee that close by is the Duke of Lorraine with sixty thousand good men of war, and we had both best flee at once, for he will find us else, 
and we be sorely wounded and never likely to recover and let my page be careful that he blow no horn for hard by are a hundred knights my servants and if they seize thee no ransom of gold or silver would acquit thee then sir gawain rode over a river to save himself and sir prianius after him and so they both fled till they came to his companions who were in the meadow where they spent the night when sir wishard saw sir gawain so hurt he ran to him weeping and asked him who it was had wounded him and sir gawain told him how he had fought with that man pointing to prianius who had salves to heal them both but i can tell ye other tidings said he that soon we must encounter many enemies for a great army is close to us on our front then prianius and sir gawain alighted and let their horses graze while they unarmed and when they took their armour and their clothing off the hot blood ran down freshly from their wounds till it was piteous to see but prianius took from his page a vial filled from the four rivers that flow out of paradise and anointed both their wounds with a certain balm and washed them with that water and within an hour afterwards they were both as sound and whole as ever they had been then at the sound of a trumpet all the knights were assembled to council and after much talking prianius said cease your words for i warn you in yonder wood ye shall find knights out of number who will put out cattle for a decoy to lead you on and ye are not seven hundred nevertheless said sir gawain let us at once encounter them and see what they can do and may the best have the victory then they saw suddenly an earl named sir ethelwold and the duke of dutchman come leaping out of ambush in the woods in front with many a thousand after them and all rode straight down to the battle and sir gawain full of ardour and courage comforted his knights saying they are all ours then the seven hundred knights in one close company set spurs to their horses and began to gallop and fiercely met their enemies and then were men and horses slain and overthrown on every side and in and out amidst them all the knights of the round table pressed and thrust and smote down to the earth all who withstood them till at length the whole of them turned back and fled by heaven said sir gawain this gladdeneth well my heart for now behold them as they flee they are full seventy thousand less in number than they were an hour ago thus was the battle quickly ended and a great host of high lords and knights of lombardy and saracens left dead upon the field then sir gawain and his company collected a great plenty of cattle and of gold and silver and all kind of treasure and returned to king arthur where he still kept the siege now god be thanked cried he but who is he that standeth yonder by himself and seemeth not a prisoner sir said sir gawain he is a good man with his weapons and hath matched me but cometh hither to be made a christian had it not been for his warnings we none of us should have been here this day i pray thee therefore let him be baptized for there can be few nobler men or better knights so prianius was christened and made a duke and a knight of the round table presently afterwards they made a last attack upon the city and entered by the walls on every side and as the men were rushing to the pillage came the duchess forth with many ladies and damsels 
and kneeled before king arthur and besought him to receive their submission to whom the king made answer with a noble countenance madam be well assured that none shall harm ye or your ladies neither shall any that belong to thee be hurt but the duke must abide my judgment then he commanded to stay the assault and took the keys from the duke's eldest son who brought them kneeling anon the duke was sent a prisoner to dover for his life and rents and taxes were assigned for dowry of the duchess and her children then went he on with all his hosts winning all towns and castles and wasting them that refused obedience till he came to viterbo from thence he sent to rome to ask the senators whether they would receive him for their lord and governor in answer came out to him all the senate who remained alive and the cardinals with a majestic retinue and procession and laying great treasures at his feet they prayed him to come in at once to rome and there be peaceably crowned as emperor at this next christmas said king arthur will i be crowned and hold my round table in your city anon he entered rome in mighty pomp and state and after him came all his hosts and his knights and princes and great lords arrayed in gold and jewels such as never were beheld before and then was he crowned emperor by the pope's hands with all the highest solemnity that could be made then after his coronation he abode in rome for a season settling his lands and giving kingdoms to his knights and servants to each one after his deserving and in such wise fashion that no man among them all complained also he made many dukes and earls and loaded all his men-at-arms with riches and great treasures when all this was done the lords and knights and all the men of great estate came together before him and said noble emperor by the blessing of eternal god thy mortal warfare is all finished and thy conquests all achieved for now in all the world is none so great and mighty as dare make war with thee wherefore we beseech and heartily pray thee of thy noble grace to turn thee homeward and to give us also leave to see our wives and homes again for now we have been from them a long season and all thy journey is completed with great honour and worship ye say well replied he and to tempt god is no wisdom therefore make ready in all haste and turn we home to england so king arthur returned with his knights and lords and armies in great triumph and joy through all the countries he had conquered and commanded that no man upon pain of death should rob or do any violence by the way and crossing the sea he came at length to sandwich where queen guinevere received him and made great joy at his arrival and through all the realm of britain was there such rejoicing as no tongue can tell End of chapter eight recording by thomas rose chapter nine of the legends of king arthur and his knights by james knowles this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine the adventures of sir lancelot du lac 
then at the following pentecost was held a feast at the round table at caer leon with high splendour and all the knights thereof resorted to the court and held many games and jousts and therein sir lancelot increased in fame and worship above all men for he overthrew all comers and never was unhorsed or worsted save by treason and enchantment when queen guinevere had seen his wondrous feats she held him in great favour and smiled more on him than on any other knight and ever since he first had gone to bring her to king arthur had lancelot thought on her as the fairest of all ladies and done his best to win her grace so the queen often sent for him and bade him tell of his birth and strange adventures how he was only son of great king ban of brittany and how one night his father with his mother helen and himself fled from his burning castle how his father groaning deeply fell to the ground and died of grief and wounds and how his mother running to her husband left himself alone how as he thus lay wailing came the lady of the lake and took him in her arms and went with him into the midst of the waters where with his cousins lionel and bors he had been cherished all his childhood until he came to king arthur's court and how this was the reason why men called him lancelot du lac anon it was ordained by king arthur that in every year at Pentecost there should be held a festival of all the knights of the round table at Caer Leon, or such other place as he should choose, and at those festivals should be told publicly the most famous adventures of any knight during the past year. So when Sir Lancelot saw Queen Guinevere rejoiced to hear his wanderings and adventures, he resolved to set forth yet again and win more worship still that he might more increase her favour then he bade his cousin sir lionel make ready for said he we two will seek adventure so they mounted their horses armed at all points and rode into a vast forest and when they had passed through it they came to a great plain and the weather being very hot about noontide sir lancelot greatly longed to sleep then sir lionel espied a great apple tree standing by a hedge and said brother yonder is a fair shadow where we may rest ourselves and our horses i am full glad of it said sir lancelot for all these seven years i have not been so sleepy so they alighted there and tied their horses up to sundry trees and sir lionel waked and watched while sir lancelot fell asleep and slept passing fast in the meanwhile came three knights riding as fast flying as ever they could ride and after them followed a single knight but when sir lionel looked at him he thought he had never seen so great and strong a man or so well furnished and apparelled anon he saw him overtake the last of those who fled and smite him to the ground then came he to the second and smote him such a stroke that horse and man went to the earth then rode he to the third likewise and struck him off his horse more than a spear's length with that he lighted from his horse and bound all three knights fast with the reins of their own bridles when sir lionel saw this he thought the time was come to prove himself against him 
so quietly and cautiously lest he should wake sir lancelot he took his horse and mounted and rode after him presently overtaking him he cried aloud for him to turn which instantly he did and smote sir lionel so hard that horse and man went down forthwith then took he up sir lionel and threw him bound over his own horse's back and so he served the three other knights and rode them away to his own castle there they were disarmed stripped naked and beaten with thorns and afterwards thrust into a deep prison where many more knights also made great moans and lamentations saying alas alas there is no man can help us but sir launcelot for no other knight can match this tyrant turkine our conqueror but all this while sir launcelot lay sleeping soundly under the apple-tree and as it chanced there passed that way four queens of high estate riding upon four white mules under four canopies of green silk borne on spears to keep them from the sun as they rode thus they heard a great horse grimly neigh and turning them about soon saw a sleeping knight that lay all armed under an apple-tree and when they saw his face they knew it was lancelot of the lake then they began to strive which of them should have the care of him but queen morgan le fay king arthur's half-sister the great sorceress was one of them and said we need not strive for him i have enchanted him so that for six hours more he shall not wake let us take him to my castle and when he wakes himself shall choose which one of us he would rather serve so sir launcelot was laid upon his shield and borne on horseback between two knights to the castle and there laid in a cold chamber till the spell should pass anon they sent him a fair damsel bearing his supper who asked him what cheer i cannot tell fair damsel said he for i know not how i came into this castle if it were not by enchantment sir said she be of good heart and to-morrow at the dawn of day ye shall know more and so she left him alone and there he lay all night in the morning early came the four queens to him passing richly dressed and said sir knights thou must understand that thou art our prisoner and that we know thee well for king ban's son sir launcelot du lac and though we know full well there is one lady only in this world may have thy love and she queen guinevere king arthur's wife yet now are we resolved to have thee serve one of us choose therefore of us four which thou wilt serve i am queen morgan le fay queen of the land of gore and here also is the queen of north gales and the queen of eastland and the queen of the out isles choose then at once for else shalt thou abide here in this prison till thy death it is a hard case said sir launcelot that either i must die or choose one of you for my mistress yet had i rather die in this prison than serve any living creature against my will so take this for my answer i will serve none of ye for ye be false enchantresses and as for my lady queen guinevere whom lightly ye have spoken of 
Were I at liberty, I would prove it upon you or upon yours. She is the truest lady living to her lord the king. Well, said the queen, is this your answer, that you refuse us all? Yea, on my life, said Lancelot, refused ye be of me. So they departed from him in great wrath, and left him sorrowfully grieving in his dungeon. At noon the damsel came to him and brought his dinner, and asked him as before, What cheer? Truly, fair damsel, said Sir Launcelot, in all my life never so ill. Sir, replied she, I grieve to see you so. But if ye do as I advise, I can help ye out of this distress, and will do so if you promise me a boon. Fair damsel, said Sir Launcelot, right willingly will I grant it thee, for sorely do I dread these four witch-queens who have destroyed and slain many a good knight with their enchantments. Then said the damsel, Sir, wilt thou promise me to help my father on next Tuesday, for he hath a tournament with the king of Northgales, and last Tuesday lost the field through three knights of King Arthur's courts who came against him. And if next Tuesday thou wilt aid him, to-morrow before daylight, by God's grace, I will deliver thee. Fair maiden, said Sir Launcelot, tell me thy father's name, and I will answer thee. My father is King Bagdemagus. I know him well, replied Sir Launcelot, for a noble king and a good knight, and by the faith of my body I will do him all the service I am able on that day. Gramercy to thee, Sir Knight, said the damsel. To-morrow, when thou art delivered from this place, ride ten miles hence unto an abbey of white monks, and there abide until I bring my father to thee. So be it, said Sir Launcelot, as I am a true knight. So she departed, and on the morrow early came again, and led him out of twelve gates differently locked, and brought him to his armour, and when he was all armed, she brought him his horse also. And lightly he saddled him, and took a great spear in his hand, and mounted and rode forth, saying as he went, Fair damsel, I shall not fail thee by the grace of God. And all that day he rode in a great forest, and could find no highway, and spent the night in the woods. But the next morning found his road, and came to the abbey of white monks. And there he saw King Bagdemagus, and his daughter waiting for him. So when they were together in a chamber, Sir Launcelot told the king how he had been betrayed by an enchantment, and how his brother Lionel was gone he knew not where, and how the damsel had delivered him from the castle of Queen Morgan le Fay. "'Wherefore, while I live,' said he, "'I shall do service to herself and all her kindred.' "'Then I am sure of thy aid,' said the king, "'on Tuesday now next coming.' yea sir i shall not fail thee said sir launcelot but what knights were they who last week defeated thee and took part with the king of north gales sir mador de la porte sir modred and sir gahalatine replied the king sir said sir launcelot as i understand the tournament shall take place but three miles from this abbey send then to me here three knights of thine the best thou hast and let them all have plain white shields, such as I also will. Then will we four come suddenly into the midst between both parties, and fall upon thy enemies, and grieve them all we can, and none will know us who we are. 
So on the Tuesday Sir Lancelot and the three knights lodged themselves in a small grove hard by the lists. Then came into the field the king of North Gales with one hundred and sixty helms, and the three knights of King Arthur's court, who stood apart by themselves. And when King Bagdemagus had arrived with eighty helms, both companies set all their spears in rest and came together in a mighty clash, wherein were slain twelve knights of King Bagdemagus and six of the King of North Gales, and the party of King Bagdemagus was driven back. With that came Sir Lancelot, and thrust into the thickest of the press, and smote down with one spear five knights, and brake the backs of four, and cast down the king of North Gales, and brake his thigh by the fall. When the three knights of Arthur's court saw this, they rode at Sir Lancelot, and each after other attacked him. But he overthrew them all, and smote them nigh to death. Then taking a new spear, he bore down to the ground sixteen more knights, and hurt them all so sorely that they could carry arms no more that day. And when his spear at length was broken, he took yet another, and smote down twelve knights more, and most of whom he wounded mortally, till in the end the party of the king of North Gales would joust no more, and the victory was cried to King Bagdemagus. Then Sir Lancelot rode forth with King Bagdemagus to his castle, and there he feasted with great cheer and welcome, and received many royal gifts. And on the morrow he took leave, and went to find his brother Lionel. Anon, by chance, he came to the same forest where the four queens had found him sleeping, and there he met a damsel riding on a white palfrey. When they had saluted each other, Sir Lancelot said, Fair damsel, knowest thou where any adventures may be had in this country? Sir knight, said she, there are adventures great enough close by, if thou darest prove them. Why should I not, said he, since for that cause I came here? Sir, said the damsel, hard by this place there dwelleth a knight that cannot be defeated by any man, so great and perilously strong he is. His name is Sir Turquine and in the prisons of his castle lie threescore knights and four, mostly from King Arthur's court, whom he hath taken with his own hands. But promise me, ere thou undertakest their deliverance, to go and help me afterward, and free me and many other ladies that are distressed by a false knight. Bring me but to this felon Turquine, quoth Sir Lancelot, and I will afterwards fulfil all your wishes. So the damsel went before, and brought him to a ford, and a tree whereon a great brass basin hung, and Sir Lancelot beat with his spear-end upon the basin long and hard, until he beat the bottom of it out. But he saw nothing. Then he rode to and fro before the castle gates for well-nigh half an hour, and anon saw a great knight riding from the distance driving a horse before him, across which hung an armed man, bound. And when they came near, Sir Lancelot knew the prisoner for a knight of the round table. By that time the great knight who drove the prisoner saw Sir Lancelot, and each of them began to settle his spear and to make ready. Fair sir, then said Sir Lancelot, put off that wounded knight, I pray thee, from his horse, and let him rest, while thou and I shall prove our strength upon each other, 
for as i am told thou doest and hast done great shame and injury to knights of the round table wherefore i warn thee now defend thyself if thou mayest be of the round table answered turquine i defy thee and all thy fellows that is saying overmuch said sir lancelot then setting their lances in rest they spurred their horses towards each other as fast as they could go and smote so fearfully upon each other's shields that both their horses backs break under them as soon as they could clear their saddles they took their shields before them and drew their swords and came together eagerly and fought with great and grievous strokes and soon they both had many grim and fearful wounds and bled in streams thus they fought two hours and more thrusting and smiting at each other wherever they could hit anon they both were breathless and stood leaning on their swords now comrade said sir turquine let us wait a while and answer me what i shall ask thee say on said lancelot thou art said turquine the best man i ever met and seemest like one that i hate above all other knights that live but if thou be not he i will make peace with thee and for the sake of thy great valour will deliver all the threescore prisoners and four who lie within my dungeons and thou and i will be companions evermore tell me then thy name thou sayest well replied sir lancelot but who is he thou hatest so above all others his name said turquine is sir lancelot of the lake and he slew my brother sir carados at the dolores tower wherefore if ever i shall meet with him one of us two shall slay the other and thereto i have sworn by a great oath and to discover and destroy him i have slain a hundred knights and crippled utterly as many more and many have died in my prisons and now as i have told thee i have many more therein who all shall be delivered if thou tell me thy name and it be not sir lancelot well said lancelot i am that knight son of king ban of benwick and knight of the round table so now i defy thee to do thy best ha <laughs> ha said turquine with a shout is it then so at last thou art more welcome to my sword than ever knight or lady was to feast for never shall we part till one of us be dead then did they hurtle together like two wild bulls slashing and lashing with their shields and swords and sometimes falling both on to the ground for two more hours they fought so and at last sir turquine grew very faint and gave a little back and bare his shield full low for weariness when sir lancelot saw him thus he leaped upon him fiercely as a lion and took him by the crest of his helmet and dragged him to his knees and then he tore his helmet off and smote his neck asunder then he arose and went to the damsel who had brought him to sir turquine and said i am ready fair lady to go with thee upon thy service but i have no horse fair sir said she take ye this horse of the wounded knight whom turquine but just now was carrying to his prisons and send that knight on to deliver all the prisoners so sir lancelot went to the knight and prayed him for the loan of his horse 
Fair lord, said he, ye are right welcome. For to-day ye have saved both me and my horse, and I see that ye are the best knight in all the world, for in my sight ye have slain the mightiest man and best knight except thyself I ever saw. Sir, said Sir Lancelot, I thank thee well. And now go into yonder castle, where thou shalt find many noble knights of the round table, for I have seen their shields hung on the trees around. On yonder tree alone there are Sir Kays, Sir Brandels, Sir Morhouses, Sir Galins, and Sir Alidukes, and many more, and also my two kinsmen's shields, Sir Ector de Maris's and Sir Lionel's. And I pray you greet them all from me, Sir Lancelot of the Lake, and tell them that I bid them help themselves to any treasure that they can find within the castle, and that I pray my brethren Lionel and Ector to go to King Arthur's court and stay there till I come. And by the high feast at Pentecost I must be there, but now I must ride forth with this damsel to fulfill my promise. So as they went, the damsel told him, Sir, we are now near the place where the foul knight haunteth, who robbeth and distresseth all ladies and gentlewomen travelling past this way against whom i have sought thy aid then they arranged that she would ride on foremost and sir lancelot should follow under cover of the trees by the roadside and if he saw her come to any mishap he should ride forth and deal with him that troubled her and as the damsel rode on at a soft ambling pace a knight and page burst forth from the roadside and forced the damsel from her horse till she cried out for help then came sir lancelot rushing through the wood as fast as he might fly and all the branches of the trees crackled and waved around him o thou false knight and traitor to all knighthood shouted he who taught thee to distress fair ladies thus the foul knight answered nothing but drew out his sword and rode at sir lancelot who threw his spear away and drew his own sword likewise and struck him such a mighty blow as clave his head down to the throat now hast thou the wages thou long hast earned said he and so departed from the damsel then for two days he rode in a great forest and had but scanty food and lodging and on the third day he rode over a long bridge when suddenly there started up a passing foul churl and smote his horse across the nose so that he started and turned back rearing with pain why ridest thou over here without my leave said he why should i not said sir lancelot there is no other way to ride thou shalt not pass by here cried out the churl and dashed at him with a great club full of iron spikes till sir lancelot was fain to draw his sword and smite him dead upon the earth at the end of the bridge was a fair village and all the people came and cried ah sir a worse deed for thyself thou never didst for thou hast slain the chief porter of the castle yonder but he let them talk as they pleased and rode straight forward to the castle there he alighted and tied his horse to a ring in the wall and going in he saw a wide green court and thought it seemed a noble place to fight in and as he looked about he saw many people watching him from the doors and windows making signs of warning and saying fair knight thou art unhappy 
in the next moment came upon him two great giants well armed save their heads and with two horrible clubs in their hands then he put his shield before him and with it warded off one giant's stroke and clove the other with his sword from the head downward to the chest when the first giant saw that he ran away mad with fear but sir lancelot ran after him and smote him through the shoulder and shore him down his back so that he fell dead then he walked onward to the castle hall and saw a band of sixty ladies and young damsels coming forth who knelt to him and thanked him for their freedom for sir said they the most of us have been prisoners here these seven years and have been kept at all manner of work to earn our meat though we be all great gentlewomen born blessed be the time that thou wast born for never did a knight a deed of greater worship than thou hast this day and thereto will we all bear witness in all times and places tell us therefore noble knight thy name and court that we may tell them to our friends and when they heard it they all cried aloud well may it be so for we knew that no knight save thou shouldst ever overcome those giants and many a long day have we sighed for thee for the giants feared no other name among all knights but thine then he told them to take the treasures of the castle as a reward for their grievances and to return to their homes and so rode away into many strange and wild countries and at last after many days by chance he came near the night-time to a fair mansion wherein he found an old gentlewoman who gave him and his horse good cheer and when bedtime was come his host brought him to a chamber over a gate and there he unarmed and went to bed and fell asleep but soon thereafter came one riding in great haste and knocking vehemently at the gate below which when sir lancelot heard he rose and looked out of the window and by the moonlight saw three knights come riding fiercely after one man and lashing on him all at once with their swords while the one knight nobly fought all then sir lancelot quickly armed himself and getting through the window let himself down by a sheet into the midst of them crying out turn ye on me ye cowards and leave fighting with that knight then they all left sir kay for the first knight was he and began to fall upon sir lancelot furiously and when sir kay would have come forward to assist him sir lancelot refused and cried leave me alone to deal with them and presently with six great strokes he felled them all then they cried out sir knight we yield us unto thee as a man of might i will not take your yielding said he yield ye to sir kay the seneschal or i will have your lives fair knight said they excuse us in that thing for we have chased sir kay thus far and should have overcome him but for thee well said sir lancelot do as ye will for ye may live or die but if ye live ye shall be holden to sir kay then they yielded to him and sir lancelot commanded them to go unto king arthur's court at the next pentecost and say sir kay had sent them prisoners to queen guinevere and this they swear to do upon their swords then sir lancelot knocked at the gate with his sword-hilt till his hostess came and let him in again and sir kay also 
and when the light came sir kay knew sir lancelot and knelt and thanked him for his courtesy and gentleness and kindness sir said he i have done no more than what i ought to do and ye are welcome therefore let us now take rest so when sir kay had supped they went to sleep and sir lancelot and he slept in the same bed on the morrow sir lancelot rose early and took sir kay's shield and armor and set forth when sir kay arose he found sir lancelot's armor by his bedside and his own arms gone now by my faith thought he i know that he will grieve some knights of our king's courts for those who meet him will be bold to joust with him mistaking him for me while i dressed in his shield and armor shall surely ride in peace then sir lancelot dressed in sir kay's apparel rode long in a great forest and came at last to a low country full of rivers and fair meadows and saw a bridge before him whereon were three silk tents of divers colours and to each tent was hung a white shield and by each shield stood a knight so sir lancelot went by without speaking a word and when he had passed the three knights said it was the proud sir kay who thinketh no knight equal to himself although the contrary is full often proved upon him by my faith said one of them named gaunter i will ride after and attack him for all his pride and ye shall watch my speed then taking shield and spear he mounted and rode after sir lancelot and cried abide proud knight and turn for thou shalt not pass free so sir lancelot turned and each one put his spear in rest and came with all his might against the other and sir gaunter's spear brake short but sir lancelot smote him down both horse and man when the other knights saw this they said yonder is not sir kay but a bigger man i dare wager my head said sir gilmere yonder knight hath slain sir kay and taken his horse and harness be it so or not said sir reynold the third brother let us now go to our brother gaunter's rescue we shall have enough to do to match that knight for by his stature i believe it is sir lancelot or sir tristram anon they took their horses and galloped after sir lancelot and sir gilmere first assailed him but was smitten down forthwith and lay stunned on the earth then said sir reynold sir knight thou art a strong man and i believe hast slain my two brothers wherefore my heart is sore against thee yet if i might with honour i would avoid thee nevertheless that cannot be so keep thyself and so they hurtled together with all their might and each man shivered his spear to pieces and then they drew their swords and lashed out eagerly and as they fought sir gaunter and sir gilmere presently arose and mounted once again and came down at full tilt upon sir lancelot but when he saw them coming he put forth all his strength and struck sir reynold off his horse then with two other strokes he served the others likewise anon sir reynold crept along the ground with his head all bloody and came toward sir lancelot it is enough said lancelot i was not far from thee when thou wast made a knight sir reynold and know thee for a good and valiant man and was full loath to slay thee gramercy for thy gentleness said sir reynold 
I and my brethren will straightway yield to thee when we know thy name, for well we know that thou art not Sir Kay. As for that, said Sir Launcelot, be it as it may, but ye shall yield to Queen Guinevere at the next feast of Pentecost as prisoners, and say that Sir Kay sent ye. Then they swore to him it should be done as he commanded. And so Sir Launcelot passed on, and the three brethren helped each other's wounds as best they might. Then rode Sir Launcelot forward into a deep forest, and came upon four knights of King Arthur's court under an oak tree, Sir Sagramor, Sir Ector, Sir Gawain, and Sir Ewain. And when they spied him, they thought he was Sir Kay. Now by my faith, said Sir Sagramor, I will prove Sir Kay's might, and taking his spear he rode towards Sir Launcelot. But Sir Launcelot was aware of him, and setting his spear in rest, smote him so sorely that horse and man fell to the earth. Lo! cried Sir Ector, I see by the buffet that knight hath given our fellow he is stronger than Sir Kay. Now will I try what I can do against him. So Sir Ector took his spear and galloped at Sir Launcelot, and Sir Launcelot met him as he came, and smote him through shield and shoulder, so that he fell, but his own spear was not broken. "'By my faith,' cried Sir Ewain, "'yonder is a strong knight, and must have slain Sir Kay and taken his armour. By his strength I see it will be hard to match him.' So saying, he rode toward Sir Launcelot, who met him half-way, and struck him so fiercely, that at one blow he overthrew him also. Now, said Sir Gawain, will I encounter him. So he took a good spear in his hand, and guarded himself with his shield, and he and Sir Launcelot rode against each other with their horses at full speed, and furiously smote each other on the middle of their shields. But Sir Gawain's spear broke short asunder, and Sir Launcelot charged so mightily upon him that his horse and he both fell and rolled upon the ground. Ah, said Sir Launcelot, smiling as he rode away from the four knights, heaven give joy to him who made this spear, for never held I better in my hand. But the four knights said to each other, Truly one spear hath felled us all. I dare lay my life, said Sir Gawain, it is Sir Launcelot, I know him by his riding. So they all departed for the court. And as Sir Launcelot rode still in the forest, he saw a black bloodhound running with its head toward the ground as if it tracked a deer, and following after it he came to a great pool of blood. But the hound, ever and anon looking behind, ran through a great marsh and over a bridge toward an old manor house. So Sir Launcelot followed and went into the hall, and saw a dead knight lying there whose wounds the hound licked and a lady stood behind him weeping and wringing her hands who cried o knight too great is the sorrow which thou hast brought me why say ye so replied sir launcelot for i never harmed this knight and am full sorely grieved to see thy sorrow nay sir said the lady i see it is not thou hast slain my husband for he that truly did that deed is deeply wounded and shall never more recover what is thy husband's name his name she answered was sir gilbert one of the best knights in all the world 
but I know not his name who hath slain him. God send thee comfort, said Sir Lancelot, and departed again into the forest. And as he rode, he met with a damsel who knew him, who cried out, Well found, my lord! I pray ye of your knighthood help my brother who is sore wounded and ceases not to bleed, for he fought this day with Sir Gilbert and slew him, but was himself well nigh slain. And there is a sorceress who dwelleth in a castle hard by, and she this day hath told me that my brother's wound shall never be made whole until I find a knight to go into the chapel perilous and bring from thence a sword and the bloody cloth in which the wounded knight was wrapped. This is a marvellous thing, said Sir Lancelot. But what is your brother's name? His name, sir, she replied, is Sir Melio de Logre. He is a fellow of the round table, said Sir Lancelot, and truly will I do my best to help him. Then, sir, said she, follow this way, and it will bring ye to the chapel perilous. I will abide here till God send ye hither again, for if ye speed not, there is no living knight who may achieve that adventure. So Sir Lancelot departed, and when he came to the chapel perilous, he alighted and tied his horse to the gate. And as soon as he was within the churchyard, he saw on the front of the chapel many shields of knights whom he had known turned upside down. Then saw he in the pathway thirty mighty knights taller than any man whom he had ever seen, all armed in black armor, with their swords drawn, and they gnashed their teeth upon him as he came. But he put his shield before him, and took his sword in hand, ready to do battle with them. And when he would have cut his way through them, they scattered on every side and let him pass. Then he went into the chapel, and saw therein no light but a dim lamp burning. Then he was aware of a corpse in the midst of the chapel, covered with a silken cloth, and so stooped down and cut off a piece of the cloth, whereat the earth beneath him trembled. Then saw he a sword lying by the dead knight, and taking it in his hand he hide him from the chapel. As soon as he was in the churchyard again, all thirty knights cried out to him with fierce voices, Sir Launcelot, lay that sword from thee, or thou diest. Whether I live or die, said he, ye shall fight for it ere ye take it from me. And with that they let him pass. And further on, beyond the chapel, he met a fair damsel who said, Sir Launcelot, leave that sword behind thee, or thou diest. I will not leave it, said Sir Launcelot, for any asking. Then, gentle knight, said the damsel, I pray thee kiss me once. Nay, said Sir Launcelot, that God forbid. Alas, cried she, I have lost all my labor. But hadst thou kissed me, thy life's days had been all done. Heaven save me from thy subtle crafts, said Sir Launcelot, and therewith took his horse and galloped forth. And when he was departed, the damsel sorrowed greatly, and died in fifteen days. Her name was Elowes the sorceress. Then came Sir Launcelot to Sir Melio's sister, who when she saw him clapped her hands and wept for joy, and took him to the castle hard by, where Sir Melio was. And when Sir Launcelot saw Sir Melio, 
he knew him though he was pale as ashes for loss of blood and sir meliot when he saw sir lancelot kneeled to him and cried aloud o lord sir lancelot help me and thereupon sir lancelot went to him and touched his wounds with the sword and wiped them with the piece of bloody cloth and immediately he was as whole as though he had been never wounded then was there great joy between them and sir meliot and his sister made sir lancelot good cheer so on the morrow he took his leave that he might go to king arthur's court for said he it draweth nigh the feast of pentecost and there by god's grace shall ye then find me and riding through many strange countries over marshes and valleys he came at length before a castle as he passed by he heard two little bells ringing and looking up he saw a falcon flying overhead with bells tied to her feet and long strings dangling from them and as the falcon flew past an elm tree the strings caught in the boughs so that she could fly no further in the meanwhile came a lady from the castle and cried oh sir lancelot as thou art the flower of all knights in the world help me to get my hawk for she hath slipped away from me and if she be lost my lord my husband is so hasty he will surely slay me what is thy lord's name said sir lancelot his name said she is sir philot a knight of the king of north gales fair lady said sir lancelot since you know my name and require me on my knighthood to help you i will do what i can to get you your hawk and thereupon alighting he tied his horse to the same tree and prayed the lady to unarm him so when he was unarmed he climbed up and reached the falcon and threw it to the lady then suddenly came down out of the wood her husband sir philot all armed with a drawn sword in his hand and said o oh, sir lancelot now have i found thee as i would have thee and stood at the trunk of the tree to slay him ah lady cried sir lancelot why have ye betrayed me she hath done as i commanded her said sir philot and thine hour is come that thou must die it were shame said sir lancelot for an armed to slay an unarmed man thou hast no other favour from me said sir philot alas cried sir lancelot that ever any knight should die weaponless and looking overhead he saw a great bough without leaves and wrenched it off the tree and suddenly leaped down then sir philot struck at him eagerly thinking to have slain him but sir lancelot put aside the stroke with the bow and therewith smote him on the side of the head till he fell swooning to the ground and tearing his sword from out his hands he shore his neck through from the body then did the lady shriek dismally and swooned as though she would die but sir lancelot put on his armour and with haste took his horse and departed hence thanking god he had escaped that peril and as he rode through a valley among many wild ways he saw a knight with a drawn sword chasing a lady to slay her and seeing sir lancelot she cried and prayed to him to come and rescue her at that he went up saying fie on thee knight why wilt thou slay this lady thou doest shame to thyself and all knights what hast thou to do between me and my wife replied the knight 
I will slay her in spite of thee. Thou shalt not harm her, said Sir Lancelot, till we have first fought together. Sir, answered the knight, thou doest ill, for this lady hath betrayed me. He speaketh falsely, said the lady, for he is jealous of me without cause, as I shall answer before heaven. But as thou art named the most worshipful knight in the world, I pray thee of thy true knighthood to save me, for he is without mercy. Be of good cheer, said Sir Launcelot. It shall not lie within his power to harm thee. Sir, said the knight, I will be ruled as ye will have me. So Sir Launcelot rode between the knight and the lady, and when they had ridden a while, the knight cried out suddenly to Sir Launcelot to turn and see what men they were who came riding after them. And while Sir Launcelot, thinking not of treason, turned to look, the knight with one great stroke smote off the lady's head. Then was Sir Launcelot passing wroth, and cried, Thou traitor, thou hast shamed me for ever! And alighting from his horse, he drew his sword to have slain him instantly. But the knight fell on the ground, and clasped Sir Launcelot's knees, and cried out for mercy. Thou shameful knight! answered Launcelot. Thou mayest have no mercy, for thou showest none. Therefore arise and fight with me. Nay, said the knight, I will not rise till thou dost grant me mercy. Now will I deal fairly by thee, said Sir Launcelot. I will unarm me to my shirt, and have my sword only in my hand. And if thou canst slay me, thou shalt be quit for ever. That will I never do, said the knight. Then, answered Sir Launcelot, take this lady and the head, and bear it with thee, and swear to me upon thy sword never to rest until thou comest to Queen Guinevere. That will I do, said he. Now, said Sir Launcelot, tell me thy name. It is Pedivere, answered the knight. In a shameful hour wert thou born, said Sir Launcelot. So Sir Pedivere departed, bearing with him the dead lady and her head. And when he came to Winchester, where the queen was with King Arthur, he told them all the truth, and afterward did great and heavy penance for many years, and became a holy hermit. So two days before the feast of Pentecost, Sir Launcelot returned to the court, and King Arthur was full glad of his coming. And when Sir Gawain, Sir Ewain, Sir Sagramor, and Sir Ector saw him in Sir Kay's armor, they knew well it was he who had smitten them all down with one spear. Anon came all the knights Sir Turquine had taken prisoners, and gave worship and honor to Sir Launcelot. Then Sir Kay told the king how Sir Launcelot had rescued him when he was in near danger of his death. And, said Sir Kay, he made the knights yield, not to himself, but me. And by heaven, because Sir Launcelot took my armor and left me his, I rode in peace, and no man would have aught to do with me. Then came the knights who fought with Sir Launcelot at the long bridge, and yielded themselves also to Sir Kay. But he said, Nay, he had not fought with them. It is Sir Launcelot, said he, that overcame ye. Next came Sir Melio de Logre, and told King Arthur how Sir Launcelot had saved him from death. 
and so all sir lancelot's deeds and great adventures were made known how the four sorceress queens had him in prison how he was delivered by the daughter of king bagdemagus and what deeds of arms he did at the tournament between the king of northgales and king bagdemagus and so at that festival sir lancelot had the greatest name of any knight in all the world and by high and low was he the most honoured of all men End of chapter nine recording by thomas rose